Welcome to Business Ninjas, brought to you by Write For Me, where you'll hear from business leaders who are out there growing their business and slaying it every day. Learn from the masters. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome back for another episode of Business Ninjas. I'm here today with RJ Licata. He's the Senior Director of Marketing at Terakey. RJ, welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks, Kelsey. Thanks for having me. Yeah, excited to have you. So, RJ, why don't you start telling me a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I am Senior Director of Marketing at Terakey. I've been there for um, nine years now, since 2014. Before that, I spent about 10 years working at Syracuse University in the athletic department with the football program. Um, and that was just out of college. I uh, got my start doing video coaches film for, for the football coaches. And we would record all the practice, all the games, um, chop it up, give them the edits that they needed to scout themselves and the opponents. And then um, from there, I transitioned a bit into social media and, and digital media, um, more marketing related stuff within the football program for a couple of years. And then that that um, landed me here at Terakeet. I've been here ever since. That's fantastic. I have a I have a friend who's the head lacrosse coach at Syracuse. I don't know if we mentioned. Oh no, that. kidding. Who who yeah. is that? Uh, Kayla Trainer. She's the. Uh, oh yeah. Okay. I don't know her personally, but I know the name yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We went, we went awesome. to school together. That's awesome. Well, anyway, I digress. Well, uh, back back to you and Terakeet. So yes. you know, you've had an interesting kind of start getting into marketing. Tell me a little bit more about what you guys do at Terakeet, and then we can dive a little bit more into marketing. Sure. So Terakeet, um, we we help global brands, Fortune 500 brands to make uh, authentic connections with their consumers. And um, we do that by analyzing um, search intent data. So what consumers are searching for on Google, um, the, the things they need, and we find ways for the brands to match those needs uh, with content that resonates with the consumer. Um, and we, we call this approach, it's a new approach to marketing that, that we've kind of developed. We call it owned asset optimization. And um, our clients, it's been really effective for us. Our clients have seen significant reduction in cost per acquisition, um, upwards of, of 70 to 80% reduction from other paid channels, and um, ROI as high as, as 12x in some cases. That's fantastic. So tell me more about owned, owned asset optimization. Yeah, so the the we, we kind of found it. It, it. it found us, maybe, I don't know. We, um, we've known for a long time um, that the way we we would call ourselves six months ago, we would call ourselves an SEO company. We knew that the value that we were delivering for our customers through the SEO channel was more than we could claim um, because the content that we were producing was so effective for them that no matter how brand or how consumers found it, it was converting. It was building. It was enhancing their brand reputation. It was helping the brand to market themselves. And we were limited to only the organic search channel through Google um, at the time. And so we went on an exploration um, with a consultant and uh, he did a bunch of research with customers, with, with CMOs outside of our customer base and ultimately settled on, we're more than an SEO company, which we, we knew, but we couldn't put words to it. And he, he helped us to coin the phrase owned asset optimization. And what's unique about it in particular is that most marketing starts with a channel, social media marketing, organic search, SEO, starts with the channel, paid. 
what owned asset optimization does is it starts with the asset. It starts with the marketing, with the with the the item or the the document, the web page, um, the asset itself, which can be broken out down into ideas even. And um, from that, we find the best way to get it to the consumer, whether it's through earned media, whether it's through organic search. In many cases, it still will be um, social media. We don't do the social media marketing for the for the customer, but we can help them to understand what's working, what consumers are searching for, so that they can tailor that content on their social media um, channels themselves. And why do you think it's so important that shift that you guys had for us, or just in general? Well, well for for us, I think um, as the marketer, it, it was hard for us to differentiate. Um, SEO is, in in some cases, it can be a commodity, uh, and and all, what what often happens is that pricing is so such a, a wide range. Um, you have you know local mom and pop type agencies that might charge one fee, and then as you get up into like the enterprise Fortune 500 type businesses, they're hiring larger firms, larger agencies, um, and but they're still capping out. They still feel like they can. They're only going to pay so much. But the value that we've been able to deliver exceeds that cost, and our costs you know, go with it to a degree. So we've got to charge higher, but we know that there's hidden value there. And so by shifting towards owned asset optimization, we're able to carve out a category that's unique to us that puts us in a, a category of one right now, essentially, where we are the only ones, we are the original owned asset optimization company. We're the only ones doing it right now. We want others to kind of join the fray to validate the company, the, the category, of course, but um, we feel confident in our ability to perform and um, under the, the criteria of what owned asset optimization is, it just, it allows us to be different and unique and stand out and, um, you know, for us to price accordingly. Yeah. yeah, I think that's really interesting. And I appreciate you sharing that with, you know, the owned asset optimization. I think that's a really, you know, great coin term that you guys use. And it makes a lot of sense when you describe, you know, uh, the 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 pieces and intricacies of it and you know i want to i want to circle back to something that you said a minute ago talking about creating authentic consumer connections talk to me a little bit more about that because i i i, I want to understand a little bit more about that yeah the so i recently posted on linkedin and i think that this is something that that um marketers brands miss you hear a lot about customer service right there's customer service hotlines there's um, you know, if you tweet something about a product, they're going to be right on top of it. But what's often overlooked, it really, it's entirely overlooked is consumer service. And that is providing value to folks before they've bought something from you. And the the connection, it, if you think about your own purchasing, what's something that you might have bought recently? Put you on the spot a little bit. Um, I bought a new pair of running sneakers. Okay. Running sneakers. Are you, would you consider yourself in market? Maybe you've got a fetish and you've got to keep buying them, but are you, would you consider yourself in, in market for running sneakers now? Probably no, not. Right. I'm going to be a runner and I'm not a runner. So I'm but, not in market for new. <laughs> so you went for, <laughs> so you went from not being in market to being yeah. in market and now you're not in market anymore. And that window is so small that window in time, especially for, for a purchase like running sneakers. Now it's a higher consideration than an impulse buy might be for a pair of tennis shoes you see that look nice, but it's still not like buying a home mortgage, right? The consideration window is very small. So 
the the analogy that I like to use, I don't know if you've ever seen Apollo 13, but there's a scene in the movie where the newscasters are talking about the dire situation that the astronauts are facing and they hold up a basketball and I think a softball and they say if these two you know balls are 14 feet apart, the astronauts would have to hit a window that's no thicker than this sheet of paper that he holds up. And it gives you the idea of like how small that window is and how perfect it has to be. When you market to someone who's only in market, you're only marketing to such a small percentage of your total addressable market, the people who might one day be your, your customers. And you've got to hit it at such a perfect point where if you think about like a vertical funnel almost, right, where you're going through this process. Now, consumer journeys are all over the place, but if we're going to simplify it, you go vertical down this journey. A marketer to get you to buy their shoes would have to come in just at the right time of point of purchase to make you think, hey, maybe this is the pair of shoes for me. And then you make the purchase. But if they had been sending you or, or, or connecting with you on, you know, when to run, how to get into running, how to, how to um, you know, get yourself the right energy, the right mindset, all of this stuff that's way early in the process. Now you're, you're getting it, say, from Hoka, right? Now, all of a sudden, when it's time to buy, Hoka is going to be the top choice for you for a number of reasons. And it doesn't have anything to do with their shoe even at this point. So the idea of customer connections and consumer connections really is before they become a customer, before they even know that they might want to be a customer, before they're in market, they build that relationship with you, that trust, that authority, and it just makes it so much easier for you to buy from them. My theory on marketing versus sales is that marketing, some say marketing is to make sales job easier. My thought is that marketing is to make it easier to buy, not easier to sell, make it easier to buy. You now with sneakers, it's a little bit different, but you shouldn't need sales to convince you to buy if I'm doing my job correctly. I'm getting you to the point where now they're telling, they're asking you, how much do you want to buy? How soon do you want to get started? What exactly do you need? But nothing about whether or not you're going to buy. Um, and that's where the, the customer consumer connection piece really hits home if you do it effectively it's not a decision of whether to buy it's a decision of how much timing etc yeah i think that's really brilliant and i think you raised a lot of really good points in there and that's something that i hadn't necessarily considered is that you know people also people often think that sales needs marketing as a tool to do business but like you said if it's being done correctly sale marketing shouldn't even need sales in theory right in theory, in theory. yes now it depends on like what we sell. We need we need our sales team because it's high consideration, long purchase um, process. There's a lot of factors that play into it. But to buy a sneakers, yes, the the sales person at the sporting goods store should really, if if Hoka's done their job, should really be asking you what type of Hoka do you want, right? Because you're going in there saying I want Hoka sneakers. Um. So so yeah, I, I think that's that's the idea and it brings up another factor, which I think helps to put into context the, the um, consumer connection piece. And that's um, interruption marketing to permission marketing, right? Seth Godin coined this phrase. Um, many marketers are familiar with it. And historically marketing has always been about paid first, get in front of people, push the message out, but it's interruptive and it's problematic. And how often do you run to the fridge during a commercial, right? And there's that meme running around about when we were kids, we had to run to the bathroom and back before the commercial break ended because there was no pause or rewind feature on the television. Mm -hmm. That's all interruption stuff though. It's all just trying to catch people at the right time in hopes that if you do it to enough people, you'll get somebody. 
Seth Godin comes out and says, permission marketing is the way to go. You get people to opt in to contribute to it. What changed, this was in 99, 2000 when he said that. He was right. What's changed since is the smartphone, Netflix streaming, consumer empowerment, basically. Individuals have all of the control in their purchasing journey now. It's not brands looking for consumers. It's consumers looking for information. And if the brands aren't there to do it, it's going to come from affiliates, publishers, the nerd wallets of the world, right? That aren't really selling anything except for the other brand's products, but they're intercepting the consumer early on in the process. Mm -hmm. So what we've coined is the idea of the new age of interruption to permission, which is reception marketing. When consumers are doing their activity, when you're researching shoes long before you go into, into the store, you're asking certain questions and you're telling Google certain things. We consider Google to be the world's most honest focus group. You tell Google things you wouldn't tell another living soul in the world, right? Your most vulnerable moments, you're searching things. Yeah. And Google's ingesting all of that and, and not personally identifying you, but coming out with broad sweeping data that tells the market and the brands where consumers are going. Those are signals. You're operating on that frequency. So when you're looking for shoes, I bet you noticed every pair of shoes that everybody was wearing, right? Because your brain is, it's called the beta minoff phenomenon. Your brain is tuned into that. You're operating on a certain frequency. If you think about like radio wavelengths, when you're not, you're not, right? So if, if like when my wife was pregnant, I noticed every pregnant woman. I don't know that I've noticed a pregnant woman since that I didn't know, right? And it's, it's because of where my brain is. So when you're tuned into that, you're operating on a certain frequency and brands can understand that frequency. We use organic search, but it's just any sort of consumer data that's, that's trustworthy. And you deliver the information to them because you know that that's what they need because they're operating on it. That's reception marketing. And we feel like owned asset optimization is the most effective way to execute reception marketing. Why do you think that shift was so significant? With, with the, the phones and things? Yeah. Well, like... I remember when I didn't have a smartphone and my cousin did, and she was like, oh yeah, I was, I was price shopping in Best Buy and I would look up what, what this cost there. And I went up to Best Buy and I'm like, Hey, I can get this on this other, at this other store. Can you match the price? And they did. And I thought that was fascinating. And that was probably in 2006 or five or seven or whatever. But it was like at that point when it started to fully shift into everybody's got one in their pocket. So you've got, there, there are things that I don't, require like if my kids need to learn stuff in school that's great but if they're having trouble with long division i don't worry so much about that it's great to know how to do it on paper but they've, they're going to have a calculator in their pocket for the rest of their lives if not in their eyes right like it's it's, it's going to evolve to the point where they don't need to memorize those things so when all of that happens, it puts the consumer in so, so much in charge of their own journey that they're doing all of their research long before they're in the store to buy. And that is the big tipping point is that, again, going back to the Apollo 13 analogy, you've got to hit them. Like you've got to be um, trying to think of like another electronic store. You've got to be Amazon walking through Best Buy at the moment that they're entering the, the cash register and say, hey, wait a minute, we can take you know 20% off of that. That's the only way that you're going to steal that business if you aren't meeting them much earlier in their process of considering information. So I just think it's, it's, it's the fact that the consumers are fully in control now. Yeah. And you know, when going back to your clients that you're working with, do you find Terakey working with certain industries, certain size companies more often than others? 
historically we so we work we don't work exclusively with the fortune 500 but that's kind of like our our um icp high revenue um a lot of uh you know it, we work best with with um companies that are in big industries where there's a lot of search volume because it gives us a lot of a lot of data to ingest and it also helps to make the content that we create um more easily found that's historically as we move into oao it's it's not as critical because there's other ways that we can kind of get the content in front of folks we say it's it's asset focused and channel agnostic and it could so it could be any channel but the industries that that tend to respond best to it are often high consideration products where, you know, like, you know, a mortgage or a loan or credit cards, those financial things, your money, your life. So health related things, um, those verticals tend to provide a lot of search volume, which is a lot of opportunity. They have big audiences and they also have a lot of touch points where consumers need information. Um, but by no means are we limited to that. I mean, we've worked in, in, um, entertainment we've worked in um you know like uh b2c retail um e-commerce you know we we can apply a program and and the thing is we work with these really big companies but oao does not have to be for big companies oao is is a concept and a, and a strategy and an approach that yeah. can be applied to big or small companies Interesting, interesting. That's really insightful. I really appreciate that. Well, you know, RJ, I think this has been a great conversation. As we start to wrap up, is there anything that you want to leave our listeners with, either, you know, about Terakeet in general, marketing, OAO, anything you want to leave our listeners with? If if anyone's interested in, in more information, we've got a, a lot of um, content that is we're constantly adding to it about OAO, detailed, in-depth uh, dives into it. We have a framework we call the MOC-6, which stands for Marketing Asset Control Hierarchy. There's six layers to it, and it helps to put into context how OAO can, can work across um, assets that you control, assets that you manage, and then assets that you leverage um, to get greater reach. And so there's a lot of good information at terakeet.com. Um, and if anyone's interested in working with us, there's a form there to fill out as well. Fantastic. Awesome. Well, RJ, this has been a great conversation. I appreciate you breaking down, you know, search intent data, talking about OAO. I think it's been absolutely fascinating. Uh, and I really appreciate you being on Business Ninjas today. Thanks, Kelsey. This was awesome. Appreciate it. Great to have you. Hey, are you a Business Ninja? Want to be interviewed like this? Give us a shout. Go to www.writeforme.io, W-R-I-T-E-F-O-R-M-E.io, and schedule a time to meet with us, and we'll make it happen. Keep slaying it, y'all.